Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast where we discuss Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. I am your host for today, Kathy. We are in episode 6 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an, or in Mandarin, Chang'an Shen. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin. Additionally, we reference translations from what is provided online, and we will also provide our own as well. For this podcast episode, we will discuss the plot, which in this drama episode is particularly heart-racing, and then discuss the history and book differences. In the last episode, there were around three and a half plot strands concurrently moving forward. Today, we will really focus on one, mention the other, and then just quickly recount the other one and a half. The more minor plot strand this episode really revolves around the mysterious Longbo. He is waiting for delivery at a deserted residence. The other plot strand, which is the one we'll focus on today, includes our main character Zhang Xiaojing in an effort to gain more clues about the token that was found in Longbo's residence, went to Pingkang Fang with Yao Runong in tow to gather more information from a famous courtesan. The only clue that the courtesan provides is that a mysterious Gelao will have the answers. With no other option, Zhang Xiaojing and Yao Runong make their way to the underground of Chang'an and the lair of Gelao. This is where the episode begins. We are still in the dual hour of noon, but inching closer towards the 1 p.m. time. The underground of Chang'an, as we see, is a place without law, order, or justice. It's filthy and crowded and completely different from the splendors of the orderly Chang'an we've seen so far. The officials, the government, they all have no power or reach down here. And the ruler of this underground is one Gelao. Yao Runong makes a pretty astute observation that for the first time, Zhang Xiaojing seems on edge and asks, who is this Gelao? Zhang Xiaojing explains that Gelao originally was sold as a slave who came to Chang'an between 705 to 707 AD. So this was roughly around 40 years ago in drama time. He was first sold to a vice minister Ge, but then was sold to a brothel as a servant. This Gelao is a Kunlun slave, or was a Kunlun slave. I'll discuss more about this later. Yao Runong, upon hearing this, scoffs at the news that Gelao was a Kunlun slave. He's like, you know, they're all docile, and if you ask one to die, he'll die for you. Zhang Xiaojing dismisses this, though, asking, is that something to be proud of, asking somebody to die? Remember this answer, as he will have to face the exact same thing later this episode. 
Back to Gelao. Zhang Xiaojing explains that this Gelao is an extremely cunning man. If we take the two words or characters of Gelao and kind of describe them, Ge is the last name that Gelao probably took from that old master, and Lao is elder. So what we really have as a translation is elder Ge. So you can hear from this name that he is a man of high position. Well, this Gelao, or before he was even Gelao, after only two years, he was able to convince his master to set him free from slavery, and he has since built this underground empire. All of the courtesans are his eyes and ears, and he alone knows all of the dark secrets of Chang'an. His currency is information, not gold, and to get information from him, one must pay with something you hold dear. One note on this whole scene, I love that the camera shows Zhang Xiaojing and Yao Runong walking through the alleyways of the underground while discussing Gelao because it allows me, as an audience, to grasp the atmosphere of this place while also getting this exposition dump of this mysterious character. We see that it is a dirty, nasty place to live, but Gelao here is sort of like the slumlord. He owns the underground. And with that, Gelao is finally introduced after this buildup to be none other than the Beninese American Academy Award nominated actor, Jimon Hansu. I really, really liked how this scene or this buildup came to be because we have Zhang Xiaojing describe Gelao and how he got to where he is. And then we finally get the here is the man. It's kind of like the doors open and this guy in a big cloak with a walking staff shows up. He's very splendidly dressed. So you or for me as an audience, I was like, dang, OK, this guy makes sense why he is the ruler of this underground. And take a look. Zhang Xiaojing gives Gelao a very formal bow and presents the token. Gelao, upon seeing this, gives Zhang Xiaojing some information to whet his appetite. The token belongs to a courtesan called Tonger. It just so happens that this Tonger apparently found true love and tried to elope with her lover, a poor scholar. Zhang Xiaojing is like, I don't believe this. And indeed, Gelao takes Zhang Xiaojing and Yao Runong to see the now captured Tonger and her lover. On the way there, we see another courtesan with a skin illness behind bars. We won't see her until much later in the drama, so we won't pay attention to her right now, but I do want to acknowledge her existence because she does play a crucial role later. Tonger and her lover have been captured. This lover of hers is in a very poor state. He's beaten and bruised and quite bloody. Zhang Xiaojing wants information and asks Tonger point blank, you know, please give this information to me. But this is as far as he's going to get. Gelao now wants payment for this information. 
Okay, I don't think I'm doing a great job of kind of describing the atmosphere, the tension that is happening in the underground. But man, when you just watch Gulao, he commands your attention and you just know that he is a dangerous person. We get back to kind of a different room and Gulao makes his point clear to Zhang Xiaojing. He wants a name. A name of one of Zhang Xiaojing's spies that are still in his underground. This is such an intense scene because Gulao really did pick possibly the one piece of information that will hurt Zhang Xiaojing the most. At first, one person voluntarily steps out and outs himself. This is actually the man who tried to flee from Zhang Xiaojing at the very beginning of the episode. The man simply bows and says, Is Commander Zhang alright? And before anyone does anything, the man is killed. Take a look at Yao Runeng's face. He's shocked that, you know, this guy was a spy because the two acted so normally around each other as if they didn't know each other. I guess that's the point of a really good spy. But unfortunately, this death does not even appease Gulao. <sighs> he says the man volunteered himself. Zhang Xiaojing did not give this name, so it doesn't count. Man, like, yeah, Gulao really plays a hard game. Gulao specifically gives more clues as to who he wants. Years ago, Gulao received intel from one of his courtesans that one of her customers, who is a member of the household for the powerful eunuch Guo Li Shi, had a stash of untold riches, or specifically gold, in his private manor. For two years, this customer who worked in that household smuggled fake gold instruments into the private manor and swapped them with the real thing and buried the real gold in a hidden location. What Gulao wanted was the gold as proof of Guo Li Shi's corruption and to have leverage over him. We will meet the eunuch Guo Li Shi later in the drama and then during that I'll discuss why this leverage would be very important. But right now just know that Gulao wanted proof to kind of blackmail somebody. But just when Gulao was about to come in for the final kill, as in he hired additional killers to steal the gold, the courtesan, her customer, and the killers he sent were all killed by a mysterious third party. The gold, gone as well. There must have been a traitor, and he wants to know who it was. Okay. Now this comes to a really, really tense scene in the episode. It was actually like very tough to watch. The inner turmoil for Zhang Xiaojing is real, but ultimately he decides to betray his spy. I thought Lei Jiayin's acting was so good in this particular episode. At this point, Yao Runeng steps in and really warns Zhang Xiaojing. Because if anybody betrays the identity of a spy, then according to 
Tang Law, this was an automatic death sentence. He is shocked that Zhang Xiaojing would do this, but Zhang Xiaojing is not swayed. For the greater good of Chang An, Zhang Xiaojing chooses to betray this one person. And who is this one person? Xiao Yi, the lowly servant that led Zhang Xiaojing and Yao Runeng to the underground from the brothel in the first place. If you go back to the previous episode, he is just that servant that kind of serves the courtesan. Ge Lao is genuinely shocked at this news. Just take a look at his face. He's genuinely shocked. He asks for the first piece of gold he ever earned back from Xiao Yi. This shows just how much Ge Lao actually cared for Xiao Yi and cannot believe this betrayal. Somehow, this was, in my opinion, kind of like a touching scene because in this, they have a short conversation about how Xiao Yi wanted to kind of treat him as a father, but with this betrayal, Ge Lao said, I'm alone and I don't need anybody. Well, with one last greeting to his commander, Xiao Yi greets Zhang Xiaojing and asks for a blessing. In Chinese, he says fu, which translates to blessing. The English translation on YouTube was, please grant me death. I like the Chinese phrase better because Xiao Yi doesn't outright ask for death, but for a blessing. However, everyone knows what he means. Zhang Xiaojing has no choice and kills him with his crossbow. The rest of the scenes here turn very heavy and honestly very difficult to watch. I mean, that was already so difficult to watch. Xiao Yi's body is unceremoniously dumped near the courtesan, Tong Er. Because, you know, that's proof that, uh, yes, she now must talk. Ge Lao, though, right now reneges on his word and requests for Xiao Yi's eyes as final payment. Oh my god, I couldn't believe this when I saw this scene the first time. Zhang Xiaojing is furious, but Ge Lao says, you know, he relishes in watching people make difficult choices. Surprisingly, it is now Yao Runeng who says, Xiao Yi's already dead. He would want you to finish the mission. It's just his eyes. <sighs> Zhang Xiaojing has no choice but to acquiesce. As payment for his dead friend, Zhang Xiaojing cuts off a chunk of his pinky as a reminder of what is owed to Xiao Yi. Finally appeased, Ge Lao agrees to have Tong Er give the information that Zhang Xiaojing so desperately wants. But before she does so, she sings a song for him. The song, which we'll hear later in the drama as well, is snippets from the poem Duan Ge Xing, or the short ballad. We end the episode with a flashback before this all started, when everyone, including Zhang Xiaojing, were still members of the Sleuth Hound, with Zhang Xiaojing as the captain and commander. I personally love this scene because it is one long continuous shot that really shows here that Xiao Yi was a great technician with crossbows. 
which is kind of jarring or maybe kind of uh, ironic because he was killed by a crossbow. We see the members of the sleuth hound or Bu Liang Ren and how, just how loyal they were to their captain and a captain who cared and loved his team. It was in this scene that we find out that Zhang Xiaojing discovered Ge Lao's intentions to steal the gold and needed a spy. No one was thinking of Xiao Yi, but he volunteered himself by injuring himself uh, by cutting off a chunk of his pinky and saying that he would be the best cover. Zhang Xiaojing was fiercely against this from the beginning, but Xiao Yi made his decision, and that is why Zhang Xiaojing hurt himself as payment for what Xiao Yi did for his team. Okay, I focused on the plot recap for Zhang Xiaojing's plot thread because it was so intense and I didn't want to turn to other matters. But let's now turn our attention to Longbo to close out. A caravan with unknown products arrive at his location, evidently ordered by Longbo. The caravan traveled all the way from Yanzhou, which is something I would like for us to pay attention to because where this came from will come into play later. Based on previous episodes, we as the audience know that Longbo is planning something nefarious, and he says the words or fire apocalypse to the leader of the caravan. And the guy's like, what? So we know that he's planning something, but how is this possible that the whole caravan was able to enter the city unscathed if the whole of Jing Ansi or the Department of City Security is trying to find anything related to oil? So maybe it's not oil? We'll see. That is a mystery. Unfortunately for the poor members of the caravan shipping the product, they're all unceremoniously murdered by Longbo's men and Yu Chang. <laughs> She's very much bloodthirsty and uh, relishes in killing people. What a pity that these innocent men died. As a quick aside, Li Bi is still stuck waiting for an audience from Lin Jiolong, and time is ticking back at Jing Ansi or the Department of City Security to find more evidence about this upcoming or impending fire apocalypse. Okay, phew, this episode was action-packed. We are introduced to Ge Lao. Would you call him an evil person? Yes? Maybe? Yes? Every time I watch this episode, I kind of dread it, but I just can't take my eyes off of this episode. There's so much to learn. There's a lot happening. So let's now turn our attention to the history. First, let's discuss the Kunlun Nu or Kunlun slaves, which is the origin of Ge Lao. When I first heard the words Kunlun, I thought, oh, okay, probably somebody from the Kunlun Mountains, which is found in present day Western China on the northern part of the Tibetan Plateau. And Kunlun is pretty well known as a location. However, in ancient China, Kunlun sometimes meant the Indian subcontinent and the islands in Southeast Asia. In the old book of Tang, which chronicled the history of the Tang dynasty and was published in the mid 10th century, it does have a statement there or is written that everyone south of a region in present day Vietnam 
with curly hair and black of body are called Kunlun people. In addition, during the time of the Tang Dynasty, Kunlun was also used to describe the color black or colors close to black. So during the Tang Dynasty, Kunlun slaves referred to slaves with black skin. What's very interesting is that archaeologists have uncovered black human clay figures amongst Tang Dynasty artifacts, which supports the claim that there were people with black or very dark skin known and living amongst the Tang during that time. What is unclear, though, is were these Kunlun slaves from Africa, the Indian subcontinent, the Middle East, or elsewhere? The reason being is because records only said that they had black or very dark skin, but wasn't very specific on exactly where they are from. So then the questions become, where did they come from and how did they travel all the way east to Chang'an in the 8th century? There are a couple of theories. One is that these Kunlun slaves originated from Africa. There are records in the old book of Tang stating maritime trade between the Tang dynasty and cities in ancient Zanzibar or present-day Tanzania. So it could be that the Kunlun slaves came from there. It could also be uh, that with the maritime trade between kingdoms of East Africa and Egypt at the time, slaves could have arrived in China via trade with the Arabic and Persian empires, then via the Indian subcontinent, and then to China. There is another theory that the Kunlun slaves probably originated from Southeast Asia because, as was mentioned in the Old Book of Tang, they, in reference to Kunlun slaves, specifically mention the area south of modern-day Vietnam, which then one can probably infer as other parts of Southeast Asia. It could also be that these slaves came from all over Africa, the Middle East, the Indian subcontinent, and Southeast Asia, and in the Chinese records, they were all grouped as people with black or very dark skin and were all lumped as Kunlun Lu. During the Tang Dynasty, Kunlun slaves performed household duties. There were slaves, though, that were recorded to be animal trainers, musicians, or also worked on the fields. According to some records, some of them even escaped and became pirates. Uh, in general, though, life for these slaves wasn't great. I mean, I guess life for slaves in general just was not great. What's fascinating is that there is a wuxia romance novel that was written in the late Tang dynasty or late 9th century that was called the Kunlun slave and is a story of how this slave saved his master's lover. So we can see from there that Kunlun slaves were very much part of society during the Tang dynasty. Now, turning towards our Gulao, he won't have too many appearances in this drama, but when he does, it's very, very, uh, as we saw in this episode, intense. Let's give a shout out to Jimon Honsu. American audiences might be most familiar with him with the movie Blood Diamond, where he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, in 2023, he was most recently in Shazam, Fury of the Gods, as well as Black Adam as the Wizard. I did not see any of those movies. <laughs> 
When Jimon came on screen for this episode, back when this drama first aired, it caused quite a stir because Chinese audiences were not expecting an African-American actor in the role of Golao. For the Chinese, this was quite a big get for this production, and I hope you all agree, Jimon Hansu does an amazing job in this role as Golao. For you audiences, here's a special Easter egg. For those of you who have a good ear, you might find Golao's dub familiar. The reason being is because this dub, or the person who dubs his voice, Jimon is speaking English uh, when he's acting, <laughs> but this dub is none other than Chen Jianbin himself, our emperor from Empresses in the Palace. When this episode came out, everyone was like, hey, wait, why do I hear Silang or the emperor's voice? Only to find out that it was him. I think Chen Jianbin's voice fits pretty well, so let's enjoy this little treat. <laughs> okay, I think that I will conclude for our discussion on the Kunlun slave. There is one more minor piece of history introduced in this drama that I want to touch on. A new drink called San Le Jiang or San Le Wine, which was briefly introduced as something that members of the caravan who got the goods to Longbo wanted to drink as part of a celebration. The San Le, as part of the three Le wines, include He Li Le, Pi Li Le, and An Mo Le. That means that the recipe, which was recorded during the Tang Dynasty, includes plants such as the Myrobalan, the Bahida, and Indian gooseberries, and also included white honey and water. Unfortunately, we don't have that drink anymore, but it does sound pretty interesting, and we do have like a very good recipe for it uh, that has lasted or survived till now. This drink was a foreign drink and introduced from abroad. It's just uh, people in China don't drink this anymore. So that was just the only other piece of history that I wanted to lightly touch up on. This itself was a really heavy episode, uh, so let me close out on book differences, specifically on the death of Xiao Yi and the audience's reaction when this episode aired. In the book, when Zhang Xiaojing decides to betray Xiao Yi, the character himself didn't want to die, Xiao Yi that is, and instead backed away as if ready to flee. Zhang Xiaojing actually immediately kills him without exchanging a word and injures himself as payment. We don't get the whole scene between Zhang Xiaojing and Xiao Yi in which they acknowledge each other, nor do we get the scene in which Ge Lao shows some emotion because he views Xiao Yi's betrayal as a very personal loss. I liked how they uh, chose to go about it in the drama because it really shows just how loyal Xiao Yi is to Zhang Xiaojing and just how loyal, I would say, his spies were to him. Zhang Xiaojing's regret with this whole situation and the choice he must make to betray one person to save all of Chang'an or to save that one person and let Chang'an burn is also very much on display in the drama and we don't really get that in the book. Zhang Xiaojing ultimately chose the former. I will say that this episode caused quite a stir when it aired because Zhang Xiaojing is no longer this 
morally good character. For the first five episodes so far, Zhang Xiaojing has been presented as this like morally good character who is willing to fight for Chang and and we I think most people saw him as this upstanding guy. Sure, he killed a bunch of people, uh, which led him to his arrest, but we didn't really see that on screen. So, you know, I think people gave him a pass. As we see in this episode, there must be a reason why everybody respects him. But here, Zhang Xiaojing made a choice to betray one of his own. He acted for, in his mind, the greater good to save the million of people in Chang'an, a million who might never know what he did. Was it worth it? Audiences very much grappled with this question, and I'll be honest, it turned people off because they were like, hey, Zhang Xiaojing, you betrayed one of your own, one who was very, very loyal to you. And they thought this was like not very appropriate for the character, but that's how the author wanted to portray him or depict this character of Zhang Xiaojing to show that he had to make a tough choice. And, you know, he'll just have to live with the consequences. Well, that closes out our discussion of episode six of The Longest Day in Chang'an. What did you think of this episode and Zhang Xiaojing's choice? It was very intense, right? I very much welcome all of your thoughts on this particular episode. So let us know. The music for this episode is Qingpingyue, played by Karen, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of dramas and movies to watch. They've launched on Sling TV, and you can stream it through the website Jumo, the platform Plex, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all of this is free. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you all in the next podcast episode.